1: Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to jump right in. We're going to start off the show with an interview we did with Ali Azadi Najafabadi. He leads our research in the Asia-Pacific region. He'll tell us about the beginnings of the recovery in China and across the region. I found it very interesting to think that while some of these economies are starting to recover, they're export economies. So they're waiting on the rest of the world so they can really get going. Please note that BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear a full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switched On. The BNF podcast. Hi, Ali. Hi, Mark. Thanks for calling in. Thank you for having me. We just published, like literally 20 minutes before we started this conversation, a report called Wuhan Recovery in Numbers Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. From what we know, everything started there, but it's also the first to go through or start recovery. Can you tell us a bit about that? What's going on? How is it starting the recovery? So yesterday was the official liftoff of the lockdown in Wuhan.
2: It's been 76 days since the original lockdown was put in place. And we're starting to see a gradual sign that certain segments, so for example, uh, passenger vehicle volumes, recovering, not all the way back to the levels that they were before the lockdown was in place, but still a good sign that economic activity is returning. At the same time, if you look at segments like aviation, you can still see signs that you're nowhere near being back to normal.
1: Maybe we might not be in a position to comment fully on this, but does it feel like a full recovery or does it feel like a stop, start, slow, dip your toe in the water type of thing?
2: There's two ways to look at it. One is, of course, we can look at the statistics. And if you look at the statistics, you can see, for example, road congestion, there's a bit of an upturn. If you dig into it, it's quite interesting. You can see actually, in big cities like Beijing and Shanghai, for certain hours the congestion is even now higher levels than it was before the whole COVID nineteen outbreak. But at other times the congestion levels are still lower than before COVID nineteen. What's happening is we are seeing people trying to get back to their normal lives, so going back to work, but they're shunning using public transport, so they're using their cars to go to work more often. At the same time, they're not taking as many non-essential trips as they used to. So the traffic congestions that you had associated, for example, for going on a road trip during the weekend or on the holidays, that's not happening as much. And then if you go on a personal level, so talking to our colleagues specifically who are now finally going back to the office, there's a whole process involved. So anywhere you want to go to major office buildings or commercial buildings in China, Usually, you encounter a security cordon at the beginning where you have to scan a QR code that says you're healthy, you have met all the quarantine rules that the local authorities have put in place for people who have traveled before, and you can use that QR code to enter. There are still health checks. They monitor your temperature at many spots, and there's still a little bit of a concern around ensuring that there is no second wave. So this means economic activity is going back And then on the power sector, for China, unfortunately, there's no live data. So it's always monthly data, and we still don't have the data for March yet. But from the coal consumption levels, definitely, it seems like we are more or less back to where you would expect to be at this time of year. So the consumption levels are fairly similar for what you would expect on a seasonal level. On the oil side, the refinery run rates have recovered, but the consumption levels and the price response still a bit lagging. It remains to be seen if you see demand fully recovering to the same level as before.
1: And the assembly lines, it seems the Chinese factories are kind of the heart of every other business that we cover in BNF.
2: Yeah, so that's where things get a lot more interesting. And there's a lot of push to recover them. And initially the challenge was, because you had a lot of lockdowns still in place, access to labor was quite difficult. A lot of the factories rely on migrant labor the workforce which had gone back to their hometowns, and it was quite challenging for them to get back. Based on the latest indicators, we we're getting close to have everyone back. Typically, after the lunar holidays, it maximum takes three weeks to get back to 100%. This year, we're now over 70 days, and, and we're roughly at about 70%.
1: Do you think that's because they're stuck in their hometowns and not able to return to the factory city, or they're not starting up the assembly lines yet? So on the manufacturing
2: side, the first challenge was once China implemented the lockdown, people could not go out. Because the lockdowns happened during the Lunar New Year holiday, a lot of the migrant workers had already gone back to their hometowns. And these restrictions prevented them from coming back. Now, the restrictions were gradually eased, but even when they were eased, it required that if you traveled back to your place of work, you had to actually self-quarantine for two weeks before you were allowed to enter the factory or the office. And of course, even after entering, they have implemented some physical distancing measures to make sure that there's no second wave. So that process has already taken place. What's now unknown is the impact from the export markets of China. So China, as everyone calls it, the factory of the world. The challenge now with the downturn in Europe, North America, and now increasingly in the rest of Asia-Pacific. The concern is that what are these factories doing? And there's already anecdotal evidence that factories are receiving cancellations of orders that basically the customers are saying, like, please hold up, we don't need it. In some cases, you now have other countries that have already closed their airports, but also ports are increasingly scrutinized and restricted. So we may see a scenario where China internally has recovered and they're managing an outbreak but the rest of the world is still trying to tackle this contagion. We've already seen this play out a little bit in APAC. So when China implemented uh, these measures, the rest of APAC was, of course, fine. But it was already having a ripple effect around other countries like Japan and Korea, whose supply chains are very much tied to China. So you had, for example, some auto manufacturing in Korea in February having to temporarily shut down because they couldn't get certain parts from China.
1: You're in Korea. Here in UK and in the U.S., we kept hearing we should handle this like South Korea does. Is South Korea beginning a recovery effort now? And do you expect a trend of recovery around APAC? Will APAC be first? So
2: Korea and Taiwan, they've been very special in the sense that they never actually implemented any lockdown measures. So Korea, mid to late February, was considered outside of China the epicenter of the outbreak. But because of the experience that Korea had had with MERS, they actually implemented really good measures. They tested heavily and they had a very good usage of technology in terms of relying on a cell phone as well as applications to track and trace. That allowed them to not have to resort into any sort of lockdown measures. The government did encourage companies that could implement work from home measures to do that. They also did shutdowns, venues that would be involved around gatherings of too many people, because one of the major sources of the outbreak was a religious service gathering where you had about 10,000 people in a confined space, and that caused the spread. But beyond that, essentially, they did very targeted measures and not an economy-wide lockdown. But the challenge they're having, of course, is they're another export-oriented economy. And what happens in China, what happens in U.S., what happens in Europe heavily impacts the Korean economy.
1: So it seems a lot of countries in APEC are ready to get going again, but they're waiting on the rest of the world to kind of catch up.
2: I wish that was true. If you look at the situation now in India and Southeast Asia and South Asia, that certainly does not look like that. So you're seeing a fragmented recovery. If anything, some countries are just at the beginning of the outbreak. They're nowhere near the peak yet. Internally, when we're thinking about all our forecasts, it's one of the most challenging parts around how do you come up with scenarios around recovery where the starting point for countries is so different. So we may end up in a scenario where you see some countries recover, others still struggle, and this continues to economically impact even the countries that have had a recovery health-wise.
1: So that was the topic of our episode last week, where we talked with Albert Chung about how to do any sort of credible forecasting during this time. It seems in most of APAC, based on your comments just now, that the forecasts are still being drawn very much with dotted lines, scenarios which are A, B, and C scenarios. But at least in China, could you say maybe getting a handle on what could happen or what the recovery could look like? Or is that dependent on the rest of the world still?
2: There's two factors for China. One is you'll have to have a view around what happens the rest of the world, uh, given that China's economy is export dependent. The second part of it is the measures that China itself is implementing around stimulating the economy. So what China has done is both the central government as well as the local government are announcing a series of measures and what's interesting is we have already seen some entities like investment banks and others rush to put out forecasts and the challenge with that approach is that they are actually missing some big chunks of what's coming in for example people are already rushing saying that it's not enough or it's going to blow certain sectors or others there have been already a lot of criticism and while some of the criticism is valid i would also caution that it's too premature to draw the full picture. Not only China is in the process of announcing stimulus measures in response to COVID-19, this is also the year that China is finalizing the 14 five-year plan. And one advantage that China has over many other countries is that because in their last five-year plans, they had identified some key sectors that they wanted to invest in, they have a lot of shovel-ready projects to go. And those shovel-ready projects, they can reshuffle those based on what has happened in COVID-19. Now, the downside to that is it does mean the hope that many had that like maybe China will do a massive green stimulus, similar to what happened in the aftermath of the global financial crisis. It may very well be that this time around, it won't be as green as people would like it because they would prioritize the economic recovery. At the same time, I think it's still too early to judge what's going to happen in China.
1: Well, we'll be checking in to hear more about what's going on in China and the rest of APEC. Ali, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed.